the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan concerning what's going on with the coronavirus and what's happening from a Columbus, Ohio perspective. Uh, State Rep. Dave Greenspan, thank you for joining us as always. Well, thank you, Nick. I appreciate being on and sharing what we're doing in Columbus with folks up here in Northeast Ohio and, and not only the 16th House District, but, but across the region to understand, you know, not only this issue that we're dealing with, but just general issues and, and progress that we're making in Columbus. You know, we've kind of been faced right now with a, with a very tough um, pandemic flu outbreak uh, that, that no one could, could plan for. And although we all do have pandemic flu plans and protocols in place, um, we also have an aggressive uh, active flu season currently, which is adding to the issue. Usually when you talk about a, a pandemic flu, it's you're typically dealing with one, one strain of flu at a time. And here in Ohio uh, and across the nation, we're dealing with two. We're dealing with the typical influenza issues that we deal with every, to which unfortunately tens of thousands of, of Americans die from uh, and get sick from. Uh, last year I, I had my flu shot and I still got the flu. Um, this year I had the flu shot and, and knock wood, I haven't had the traditional flu and, and we're doing everything we can as are all Ohioans not to contract coronavirus. But the systems that are put in place in order to deal with, with influenza and flu outbreaks um, are put in place to, to maintain a certain level of treatment, a certain level of care. And there's a, always a buffer that's on top of that that if state anticipates X number of, of flu cases any, in any one year, they plan for that plus a factor. And so there, the state is prepared for that level of flu outbreak. And, and whatever that level is, that's where the supplies and the and the the whether the PPEs, the personal protection equipment, or the ventilators, or the or, or whatever is needed, the number of beds, number of ICU beds throughout the state are based off of a traditional flu outbreak uh, environment. What's happened, unfortunately, this year is that we have a stronger than than normal flu season, still below that line. So the hospitals are able to be able to, and the healthcare professionals, be able to treat that level of influenza, that level of flu outbreak. But now on top of it, we have this coronavirus, which is adding to the, to the, to the capacity uh, of our facilities. And that's where the concern is coming in. Uh, most people that, that come in contact, as we're seeing now, as of today, as of Friday, you know, when we're taping the show, most people understand um, that based on the information known, if you don't have any underlying medical conditions, that you'll be able to beat this. Now, we don't know that definitively, There's some, um, but that is what is currently believed to be the protocol. But we have a significant amount of our population in this country and in Ohio that are, are seniors and that have underlying medical conditions. Uh, 
and both are not they're 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 mutually exclusive. You can have be younger and have an underlying medical condition that be just as susceptible to this. The age is not relevant to that. Um, but what we're trying to do and trying to identify is how is it that we can reduce? You've heard the term flattening the curve. The curve they're talking about is the curve related to the capacity to which our medical facilities can handle uh, volume, can handle the intake and the, and the continuum of care. With the regular flu that's out there now, the hospital systems do have the capacity to handle that. But when you add on top of it a second, a second issue, the coronavirus on top of it, it is where the challenge comes in. So what the governor's doing by, by originally, you know, saying no more than than a few hundred people, then a hundred people, then 50, and now the president's recommendation is 10, um, trying to lessen the contact that, one, that individuals have with one another, which hopefully will have a positive impact in reducing the amount of individuals that are infected. You know, one of the interesting things with this coronavirus is you can be infected and be asymptomatic and not show any symptoms. And a number of people are, are doing just that or they'll show little, have a diminished uh, amount of, of, uh, of illness. And you're seeing that, you know, now with the number of NBA players, as an example, who are testing positive, who had no idea, they're, they're asymptomatic, but they have been playing a game with an athlete who, who was asymptomatic as well, but who had the, who had the, who had the, the virus. Well, I have a question, I have a question concerning yeah. that, is that uh, people are being reported as being positive but asymptomatic. Could it be that they've already had the course of the disease and that's why they're showing positive? Well, and, and, and that's a good question, and, and that's something the medical professionals, researchers, are trying to identify. You know, there was a gentleman who, you know, the, 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 the period is believed to be 14 days. If you have the virus, it stays within you for 14 days, then it dies off. There's a gentleman who keeps testing positive. He's been in quarantine for over 30 days. So the question is just that: is is he still, is the virus still living in him, or is what's happening is report the tests are showing that he was at one time positive? They're trying to figure that out, and and that that's what's that's also compounding this issue. This isn't like a a, a repeat of a previous virus. This is a brand new virus that was out there, and the research that's being done is is almost in real time. You know, the information being gained is almost in real time. So um, that's why you're seeing some of these dramatic, dramatic um, steps being taken to either self-quarantine, um, which is what we're seeing with the NBA players, as an example, um, or even some of our actors. We're, we're seeing, you know, Tom Hanks and other actors and actresses who are, who are self-quarantining themselves um, or because they may have come in contact or have come in contact with someone. Um, you know, the best way to, to defeat this is to not give it as many, you know, as in any virus, not give it as many hosts to reside in. And if you, if you feel like you're, you're, you may have symptoms, um, but you're not severe, right now is the number of test kits are being ramped up, and, and we're going to start seeing more test kits um, being available. We're, we're fortunate here in Northeast Ohio. I read a, I read a report just today from, from Dr. Boutros of Metro Health where he said they, they're able to turn around within two hours test results. Cleveland Clinic, I believe, they're, they're, they're not far behind that. And so it's important that we're able to make these advancements to be able to get people tested, but there aren't enough tests yet. And this is of no fault of, of, of any national effort, whether you go back two years, four years, six years, this is something that we haven't seen in this country since 1918, insofar as the potential for a widespread 
1918 being the Spanish flu, widespread pandemic outbreak. We've had other issues with H1N1 and other things in the last decade or two decades, but nothing like this where, where the transmission is, is, is as widespread as it is. Well, as we, uh, we talk about uh, the things we have been doing and for the last several weeks, first off, within the last week or so, we've had an increase in testing. Are there any preliminary results of those tests to indicate any metrics, analytics, or trends as far as whether any of the things we're doing, like washing our hands and separating, is this having any well, effect? I, yeah, and I, I would say specifically here in Ohio, I can't address the other measures other states are doing, but as I, if there was a New York, was a New York Times article where it listed um, the states that had, I believe it was 10 cases or more, how they were relating to the spread, to the number of, of reported cases to New York, which apparently now is has more cases than anywhere else, how each state is doing with its own individual measures. Ohio was well behind the curve on that, which is, which is encouraging. You want to be behind the curve. We're well below the curve on that, but the expectation is, and what Dr. Acton and Governor DeWine are saying, and, and I think, I, I believe they're correct in this, every six days you're going to see a doubling of the number of cases. Unfortunately, we're seeing that almost daily now, where, where one day's number, we were in the 50s, two days ago, we were at 119 as of Thursday, and we'll get a report here uh, shortly. We're, we're filming this at 11 a.m. on Friday, at, and we'll get another update. And on Saturday, there'll be, be another update. And I believe what we're going to see is, is as the number of testing, as numbers tested increases, those infected with the virus will increase as well. Um, our hospitals can you are, can you are, tell are, yeah. can, can you tell from the number of uh, the increased number of reported cases of COVID nineteen as to whether or not it's uh, one there's a factor that has to do with uh, pre existing cases that are now being identified because of the testing versus the actual spreading of new cases is, is there any way we can tell what's what I, I've yeah I've not I've not heard I've not heard the the, the detail of the, those numbers yet. Um, but as this is being, as the test the number of testing is increasing, and we're seeing it increasing now, we're testing thousands a day here in Ohio. Where a week ago we were testing a few hundred, if that. As as Metro Health and UH and the clinic, as an example, are able, and I believe you see, down in Cincinnati and other hospital systems are able to create their own testing. We're going to start to get better data. Um, what we are seeing though is those who have it who are in these high risk groups medically compromised in those um, those over, I believe, 60, 65 years old, we're starting to see uh, more active cases, and those cases are requiring hospitalization and, 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 and some in, in intensive care. Now, the uh, state of California recently just uh, ordered everyone to stay separate and indoors, not, not leave their house, and that applies to 40 million people in their state, and still their health officials are saying that by the time this is over, it will have spread to over half the population, or 25 million people. Have we heard anything like that here in Ohio? That we're going, to, no matter what no, we do, we're going to be not, facing that. Not specifically to Ohio. Those those numbers are fairly representative of numbers that have been reported. Um, you know, somewhere in the 50, 30 to 50 percent range of the population very well may be impacted by this at some point. Um, as, as testing becomes more. More, uh, more readily available is when we'll be able to determine those numbers. Like I said, a lot of people are asymptomatic. They're not showing any symptoms whatsoever, and they very well may have it. The folks that are getting tested 
and because the testing resources right now are being developed, the folks that are being tested are the ones who are, are showing symptoms. Uh, those are the ones who are calling their, their physicians and asking to be tested, or those that are in hospital ready for other issues. Or um, And I believe the protocol right now is test for the flu first and COVID-19 second if the flu test comes back negative. Now, I don't know if the flu test comes back positive if they're also tested for COVID-19. Well, we're gonna, I don't know we're that. Gonna, we're going to take a short break. We're talking to State Rep. Dave Greenspan about the COVID-19, the coronavirus. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these words. Please don't go away. Cleveland Phillips with you with another segment of the advocate. We're talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan concerning the impact of the coronavirus here in the state of Ohio. And uh, Representative Greenspan, thank you again for joining us. Oh, thank you. Uh, we were talking in the last segment about the disease and the spread of the disease and, and how that is going. But uh, now I mean, you're in Columbus uh, working with the state government and what the state of Ohio can do and you're aware of what the governor has been doing and saying. Um, but let's talk about a couple of the things that have happened recently. Let's start with the primary election that was uh, was canceled because of this yeah. health this health emergency, and it truly is a health emergency. What, what's the story right, behind right. that? Yeah. So what, what happened was, obviously we've seen this, is late Monday night, uh, the, the um, director of health, Dr. Acton, um, um, closed the voting locations. So the election itself wasn't canceled or, or has not been yet postponed, but the voting the vote, uh, locations were closed for health reasons. And obviously, we're hearing the 10-person rule, which didn't come out until until Monday, which I believe was what what prompted the this issue. But but beyond that, and and, and talking with various folks around the state, one of the greater concerns had to do with the poll workers, and and a lot of our poll workers. Um, our, our seniors, and there was concern for their health, but also a number of the poll workers were calling off. And there was concern throughout the state and different, and I don't know the specifics here in Cuyahoga County, but some of these voting locations, the concern was being able to have enough people to adequately staff for an election. Obviously, it's always a challenge with boards of elections to have enough poll workers to come and work the polls. But this year, it was you know, this primary was even more challenging because of the of the of the uh, issue with the, with the coronavirus itself but also with having adequate poll workers and so um, there was a decision made to to close the polls um, the election itself and we're going to be back in Columbus this coming week Tuesday Wednesday and Thursday to discuss this and come up with a solution as to um, possibly another date for um, the primary um, there are there are a couple of dates being floated around. Some being as late or as close as the end of April, and some as the governor and the secretary of state are pushing for June second. And we will address the issue, and then obviously adjust the calendar accordingly. But uh, you know, it, I'm, you know, we weren't the only state to do something like this. Uh, I know Georgia and Louisiana did the same thing. So um, we're going to see how the upcoming, and I believe there are a few weeks between now and when upcoming states have their primaries what other states do um we may have we may have set the lead uh although i think we were the third state to make the determination ours just was just 
made rather late in the game. But uh, we will see um, how we address that this week. Well, we um, will see what happens with the elections because that affects campaigns and all of that. But I, I know a lot of our listeners are concerned about something near and dear to them, and, and that is the economics. Uh, their earnings, yeah. a lot of people are slowing down, laying off, terminating jobs. Uh, yet time marches on, and they're going to have bills to pay. They're going to have uh, rent, in some cases right. mortgage payments. Uh, with regard to um, employment, I know there have been some uh, changes and some things to help out in unemployment. Uh, can you share some of that with us? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I will. And, and what, what I'd recommend is as I'm getting information out, um, I am posting it on my social media outlets. So if your viewers, your listeners would like to get information, I'm putting it out in real time as we get it. If you visit on Facebook, Dave Greenspan, uh, on Twitter, at Dave Greenspan, we're, we're promoting these things as soon as we get it. So as far as unemployment is concerned, you're right. You know, in the past, last week we were averaging a few thousand people uh, signing up for unemployment. Uh, this week, as of yesterday, I believe the number was, was uh, over 110,000 people have signed up for unemployment. So what the state has done and working with the federal government is we, we've changed the uh, requirements to, for unemployment. So the folks who basically have reduced the, the, the deadline to basically be zero day. If you're unemployed, you're immediately eligible for benefits. And so we're working with government on that. So, so that is that is a positive in dealing with this with this situation. Um, as far as mortgages and, and rent and, and and other types of things, I know that the financial institutions, and I know specifically Huntington Bank, and not to promote any one bank over the other, but Huntington Bank um, is is relaxing some of their rules as it relates to mortgage payments, realizing that some people are going to be late. The PUCO regulates utilities have have put a moratorium on all this on utility disconnects so that folks who are running into some hard times don't have to worry about their electric or gas being turned off so there are a lot of measures that are being taken to to help folks who, who are going to be facing some hard times um, one of the things i want to emphasize is is the cleveland food bank which is which is a gem here in northeast ohio and the counties that they serve and i was talking with the, with the director uh, over the weekend and we've been active in helping, trying to help them promote and get volunteers. Uh, I believe that the National Guard is going to assist in food distribution. Um, I've been working with my mayors and school superintendents in ensuring that the resources they need and offering my services to help them be a facilitator, if not a direct volunteer, to help them distribute food not only to seniors uh, in the communities, uh, but also with the school districts because a number of our schools have students who unfortunately based on the economic situation. Sometimes the only meals they get are, are in our schools, and yes, the West Shore community is no different. We don't have the same numbers that they do in some of the urban core areas or even some of the rural districts, but we do have, have children in our school districts who the only meals they may get are a large set of their meals are served in the schools. And so we're working with them, and I know the food bank and, and my mayors and my superintendents in particular are working with the senior um, senior uh, centers and their senior resources to make sure that seniors who need meals are getting those meals. But, and our superintendents are working with those families who need assistance with with food um, during you know during the, the school was not in. So these are all you know look at these wide ranging you know issues that are raised. Yes, the economy is one of them, and then families not having income 
um, the food banks are there to help supplement that. The mortgage companies and, and the utility companies are relaxing the rules on, on mortgage payments and utility payments. And then you have um, our schools that are working very diligently to make sure that those students that are relying on, on free and reduced lunch programs are being served. Are, are there any uh, new programs or initiatives that uh, sort of in the hopper for next week that we can look forward to? Um, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question? Yeah, I was wondering if there's, that's okay. I was wondering if next week, whether or not there's, there are any uh, new projects or initiatives that, uh, that we may be hearing about that the uh, state is going to be taking in addition to well, what's been happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're working, we're working with the federal government. I've, I've spoken with, with Congressman Gonzalez about some of the issues that they're working on. I know they're working very diligently on, on right now, I believe stimulus package number three to help put you know in in folks' pockets. We're going to work with the federal government on that. As far as state programs are concerned, um, you know we're, we're monitoring closely the initiatives the governor is outlining and and the legislature. Although we haven't been back um, in session in a few weeks, primarily due to the primary, we were scheduled to, to not be in session until Tuesday anyhow. Um, we're constantly in communication with with our policy folks, with other legislators, to see what what we're all thinking about. And hopefully, here real soon, we'll be able to roll out some programs. I'm not aware of any specifics, but I think it, it might be it might be disingenuous for me to, to outline anything, any concepts that I have, only from the perspective that I don't want to confuse the issue with what the governor and, and what the federal government are working on. Well, that, that's good advice because things are changing on a daily basis. And uh, that's why we mentioned everyone that this show is being recorded on Friday, the 20th of March. And uh, by Monday, things may have changed dramatically one way or the other. Uh, but uh, from, from what I understand, the things that haven't changed are that we keep separated, we wash our hands, don't touch our face, those things still seem to be there. And uh, well, and, and, and if I could add something real quick, if you sure. look at the California order, what California is basically saying is, is shelter and but you still have the availability to go to the grocery store to get prescriptions, to go get medical care if you need it. They're encouraging people to get out and walk your dog and, and go to the park and and do various things and activities. They just don't want the congregation of people. So I would encourage people, don't feel as if, if you know, that, that you may be self-quarantining for a reason, that, that you don't, you can't leave your, your, your home or your apartment or wherever you are. You do feel the availability. Get out and, and exercise. Go for a walk. Um, you know, you do have the availability to go to grocery stores and pharmacies. You know, obviously the protocol is, you know, try to, you know, stay three to six feet away from another person. If you are symptomatic, if you're sneezing, if you've got a runny nose, if you've got the traditional symptoms, don't go out. Have somebody else go for you or call a neighbor to leave. You know, neighbors are being very, very good right now and responsive to to each other's needs and concerns. Ask them to go to the grocery store. Just leave it by your door. And we're going to have to we're going to have to leave it at that for uh, yeah. this week. Dave Greenspan, thank you so much for joining us and giving us some insight into what's in Columbus. Thank you very much. We're going to take a thank short you. break. Uh, you're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. 
In the next two segments, we're going to be talking about what we've been talking about now for a number of weeks, and that is the coronavirus. Uh, by this point, uh, we're, we're all changing our lives because of it, and uh, we're bringing on tonight uh, an expert in the area of the coronavirus, Dr. Hans Recksteiner. Dr. Recksteiner, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us, where are you calling from tonight? Uh, I live in northern Wisconsin in a small town called Spooner. And, uh, well, a small town, that sounds like it's pretty safe from the virus. Uh, is, is that is that accurate? Are you you're on the front lines with the rest of us? It's uh, it's true so far. Oh, my goodness. Well, tell us a little about yourself. You're, you're a doctor, and tell us about your medical background and your involvement with the coronavirus. Well, I'm actually a board-certified general surgeon in my 39th year of practice solo independent mm-hmm. and um, actually I've uh, written a book and as part of uh, a publicity for that uh, I, <laughs> I've uh, been doing radio interviews that uh, started out about the book but it kind of morphed uh, na- as a natural to a discussion about coronavirus because if you've got a doctor on the phone that's the first thing that's going to come up so as a result of that, I've put uh, a considerable amount of time into studying it so that I kind of know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, well. I feel like I know what I'm talking about. So I apologize so much for that. I'm not an infectious disease specialist. I'm a general surgeon. And my personal experience is uh, minimal with the, directly with the disease, but I'm pretty well steeped in the literature now and uh, uh, on top of the news, let's put it that way. Well, that, that's good. And in full disclosure to our audience, uh, we're recording this Wednesday, March 17th, which uh, I make that mention because by Sunday when this is broadcast, uh, the things about the coronavirus may be totally different than what we know it is today. So we're going to be talking, uh, and you'll be listening, the audience will be listening on Sunday, as if this were Sunday, but actually this is Wednesday. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll use Wednesday's knowledge, and, and I'll ask you a series of questions then about the, the virus and uh, some of the things I think most of us have heard about at this point, but some of the things that uh, might uh, not be totally accurate. So we'll hope for something uh, more accurate, and you can straighten us out on some of these things. So uh, to start with uh, coronavirus, we start out with coronavirus being a, a novel virus, meaning that it's new to the human species. Is that essentially correct? Yes, that's uh, one of the problems. Is we, it's uh, so many unknowns. Well, and the unknowns are what I think terrifies everyone. You add unknown to uh, any future that can affect us. And that's uh, part of the problem is that each and every American, everyone living in this country and actually living in anywhere in the world, uh, can be singled out by this indiscriminate uh, virus and can uh, find a home in our lungs and uh, cause problems. The biggest problem with coronavirus is that it uh, settles in the, the lungs and causes pneumonia. Is that essentially it? The deaths have, that have occurred have been from um, you know, lung involvement. Uh, and the end is uh, a, an overreaction of the immune system that causes what we call acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS, uh, which I have seen in my surgical work, and uh, it's, it's 
like an irreversible, almost irreversible process uh, where you kind of drown in your own secretion. Um, Is there anything that we can do to, when we first start seeing symptoms, uh, if we're one of the unlucky people to uh, actually become infected by the coronavirus, and uh, let's maybe start at the beginning, what would we notice first if we were actually infected with the coronavirus? Well, it's mostly respiratory. So that would be uh, so shortness of breath kind of a thing? It uh, Well, it starts with the runny nose and the sore throat and the cough. And, and uh, so it's kind of like the common cold, more, more than the, the common flu, which is more GI. Uh, but, uh, and then it progresses, it, it's more prone to, to cause a fever than a cold is or the flu. So that's a, a little better indicator. You can keep an eye on your temperature. And then as it progresses, it does cause shortness of breath. And that's a key, a key item. Uh, your common cold in most people uh, won't, won't get to the shortness of breath point. But uh, if you've got shortness of breath, you probably should seek medical attention. Now, I know right now everybody's very skittish. If they develop uh, a runny nose and they start coughing, uh, and even if they, they perceive a slight shortness of breath, they're probably all going to be convinced they have SARS, or uh, not SARS, but they have uh, the um, coronavirus. If, and whether they do or not, is there anything initially with over-the-counter type uh, medications that people could take initially when they start uh, feeling, should they start treating the uh, symptoms like with mucinex or something, or what's good to do? Well, I think that's uh, uh, advisable, uh, just to feel better. I don't think uh, those those products really affect the course of the disease that much, either the common cold or coronavirus. Um, it's been suggested by some experts that zinc lozenges will shorten the course, both of the common cold and uh, the coronavirus, although that's not been proven. Um, the, as the disease is progressing, is there anything besides taking symptomatic over-the-counter relief type medications that people could do or should do to lessen their chances of this, uh, this virus getting into the lower lungs and causing pneumonia? I can't think of anything. It's 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 going to run its course in you, um, and uh, you know, based on your immune system and a couple of other factors, uh, it's going to be not so bad or bad, but more than likely not so bad. You know, statistically, the odds are way in your favor. So, the uh, situation is as you're getting it. If you start having. I, I guess recognizable shortness of breath. That's the time to go to the hospital. Yes, and, and this is probably the most important thing I'll say today. Phone in to the medical facility, whatever it is. Most of the places uh, are pretty well tuned into this. They've got a triage nurse or somebody there to handle the call, and they'll sort through your symptoms and decide whether you need to be tested or you need, and then they'll tell you how to do it. One of the 
problems we're encountering is people drive to the doctor's office or to the hospital. And that's a bad idea because it just spreads the virus around. If you call in, a lot of places are schooling up now, like a drive-through testing facility or inside their facility, they have a certain pathway that's isolated from the rest of the hospital and the rest of the people, the rest of the clinic, so that you don't spread the infection if you are infected. So I, can, I can't stress it enough. Phone in and get the, the instructions as to how to be tested. Is there anything that they can do if they find out you do have the COVID-19 or the, the, the coronavirus? Is there any treatment that they can do at the hospital that's more, more than... Uh, Actually, you know, at that stage, there's really not much uh, to do. It's just like the flu or the cold. Keep yourself hydrated. Of course, isolate yourself from other people and get get your rest. Uh, avoid stressing about it if you can, because stress will decrease uh, decrease your chances of uh, escaping unscathed. Um, but then, you know, if you're one of, one of the unlucky few that begin to have trouble with breathing and and require hospitalization. Then uh, the hospital, you know, then the hospital becomes part of the treatment. But even in the hospital, if the treatment is just supportive. There's no specific antidote or medication or antibiotic that can be given. It's just IV fluids and, and oxygen therapy. Uh, and you, you know, that uh, that's one thing about viral disease. There's not much we can do about it. That's what makes it so frightening to all of us. We're talking to yeah. Dr. Uh, Hans Recksteiner. Uh, he's a physician in Wisconsin telling us about uh, the coronavirus and, and how that uh, is traveling not only through our, our society, but what we're supposed to do. We're going to be back talking to Dr. Rex Steiner. We're going to be talking about this from a personal standpoint as far as what we might feel, what should we do, and, and how to do it. So uh, we're going to take a short break. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate tonight. Uh, we're talking about the coronavirus and we're talking to Dr. Hans Recksteiner uh, from Wisconsin. Dr. Recksteiner, thank you for joining us. So thanks for having me. Now, as we're, we're talking about um, viral community spread, meaning that it's like all over, a couple of things we've been wondering about is that early on we heard that the virus has spread by droplets from people who are infected who are coughing or talking uh, or sneezing, those kinds of things. Uh, yet we've been hearing some stories, don't know whether they're factual or not, about the uh, virus being airborne, meaning that it, it can be in the air longer than just being attached to a droplet. Uh, have you heard anything about that particular point? Well, I think that's a, there's a, there's a fine difference there, if, if any. I mean, it, it starts out as a droplet, but then as the as the air it evaporates the water out of the droplet, and what's left is the particles and the substance inside the droplet, and then it's more uh, truly airborne because it just floats in the air. So we're probably talking about the same thing. One one important difference is, 
uh, thing to note is that a mask will stop a droplet. But um, once the virus has shed the water that it's attached to and it's just floating free in the air, it will not be stopped by the mask. It's too small. So interestingly, if you're infected, you should be wearing a mask. And if you're not infected, the mask does not doing you any good. Does the uh, N, we hear about the N95 mask being the mask of choice uh, with that, if you had the dry virus particle, uh, would the N95 prevent that dried particle virus from getting through the N95 mask? I'm, I guess I'm going to have to beg off on that. I, I have my doubts. But there may be a, a high-quality, high-end mask out there that has a fine enough filter to stop the virus. But I, I'm skeptical of that. Do Do we have it any? Have do, to be like cellophane to stop a virus. Yeah, well, that's a pretty strong block. Um, yeah. With, with regard to uh, the the viruses, well, people have uh, contracted the uh, the coronavirus. And it's run its course. And I've heard it's taken anywhere from two to seven days to run its course for, for most people. Uh, after it's run its course, uh, does do we know whether the body produces antibodies that will make uh, these people who have gone through it um, immune from having uh, to be reinfected? Or what do we know? I'm not 100% sure on that as well, but uh, I'm pretty sure that this will turn out to be a disease that you get once. Well, that would be that would be nice because you get your badge of courage for having it, and then once you're there, you're uh, free to travel on airplanes again, uh, I guess. <laughs> well, so. the thing is that uh, these viruses are pretty clever, and they're real good at changing their, changing their spots. So, uh, you know, if it's like the other flu viruses, they change, they change their spots like we change our shirts, you know. Well, so far, the coronavirus hasn't changed much. I heard that there were two versions of it now, um, but it's not like in, in a typical flu season, some of the viruses that we deal with change four or five times. So, so far, it's been pretty stable. But if it changes, uh, you could, uh, you know, you could lose your immunity to the second to the second form and, and have have to go again. We'll just have to see how that plays out. Are, are there any signs that this virus may be uh, transmitted and spreading with some type of seasonal component so that when it warms up in the spring, uh, it might, uh, like the flu, be as uh, ubiquitous? Yes. The answer, the short answer is yes. Uh, all of the coronaviruses, including SARS and MERS and a couple of others that we, that we have seen, um, are are seasonally affected. By that, um, what that means is that the virus itself does not like hot and it does not like humid. It likes cool, dry air. So that once it gets airborne, either in the droplet or, or in just airborne, it, it won't live as long in 80-degree uh, weather, for example. So it's less infective, and that's why it's that's why SARS and MERS uh, died out, and why most flus get less uh, prevalent than when the spring weather comes. So 
it looks like uh, COVID-19 is going to behave like that. And, mm-hmm. and in addition to that, let me just add that in Australia, aside from a couple of American movie stars who actually contracted it in San Francisco before they went there, I think the last case count in Australia was 28, 28 cases. Why? Because it's summer in Australia. Well, so we, that may be one fortunate thing for us then, uh, I suppose, that we're yeah. entering the spring season here. Yeah, and well, it's a brand new virus, it's, uh, so we don't know, but looking at the its relatives, uh, maybe. Are there any antivirals or other uh, general type of uh, substances or medications, if you will, that we can take that would mitigate or minimize the effect of SARS or of, uh, coronavirus and um, keep it from entering the lungs, which seems to be the, the, the biggest worry? Yeah, it's, it's not in the news. Uh, you hear bits and pieces of it. The Chinese have experimented with it. There are a couple of uh, over-the-counter antivirals that we routinely use to, to attain the flu bug. You can't cure it, but you can shorten it. Tamiflu, etc. cetera. Uh, but there's been no real talk that, that those drugs are effective against coronavirus. So I'd have to say probably not. Well, I, I know the big... Um the big movement with regard to public health here is to control the herd and uh, keep the rate of infection down. And I think as of today, this being Wednesday, that the rate is uh, declining, or at least as more tests are coming out, they're seeing uh, lower numbers of infectious rates rather than high. They said, uh, I guess, measles uh, infects at a rate of 12 to 1. And now we're probably around two or below at this point. Does that sound about right? Yes, I I personally follow the death rate because the deaths are pretty easy to quantitate, and you don't argue about no. did you test enough, and what about cases with no with no symptoms? You know, are you counting those cases and blah 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 blah. So um, I've been following the death rate in the United States in the last ten days or so. It's gone from 25 to 69, going up on average of about eight or nine per day, which is, you know, it's an increase every day, and but it's not, um, it's not an alarming increase. It, it's kind of a flat, you know, steady rise. Uh, I wasn't aware that it's peaked out. I, I watch every day to see if it might be peaked out. The stock market seems to think. It, it's showing some improvement because it's up today. That's also a very good indicator. <laughs> well, it has to do with confidence, public confidence. Yeah, they seem to have a better source than we do. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, they, everyone talks about in, in, the, in the press about flattening the curve, and I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it. If we can keep the bell-shaped curve sort of flat, and kind of outrun this without having too many deaths, uh, that's our best possible outcome at this point. Uh, other than the spring season coming up, uh, what else, we have about a minute, what else would uh, help reduce the rate uh, of the spread of the coronavirus uh, other than just staying separated? 
Yeah, well, that's that's the best we have to offer. Now, you know, all depends on how harsh you want to do it. If you're in a totalitarian country and you can, you know, imprison people who are on the street, then you can really get more social isolation isolation than you can in a free country where where we live. So, you know, the government has to kind of pick between how harsh do you want to be? You know, let's close all the schools, let's close all the bars, let's close this, let's close that. No gatherings over 500 people, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, the more you can do, the quicker it's going to end. But the more you're going to severely, negatively affect people's lives and the economy. Well, you have let, to pick the ground. Let, let's hope that uh, this uh, burns itself out quickly and that uh, we're pretty much willing to uh, sacrifice a lot of free time for that. Well, anyway, Dr. Rex Steiner, thank you so much for joining us tonight and telling us about uh, the coronavirus. Well, you're most welcome. Thank, thank you. Thank you, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning